Hi, I'm Mark Cuban, publisher of industry magazine Inside Film. I'm Jackie Keys, editor of Inside Film. We're self-appointed experts in content and in making each other laugh. Welcome to our podcast, On The Tools, where we recommend things you should watch, listen to, read or scroll through. This week, we talk about podcasts dying for sex, the documentary The Beach, comedy series This Way Up, TikTok's Kendall and Glenn of Van Life Australia, and the New Yorker story on a botched circumcision and its aftermath. want to ask you why <laughs> i'll tell why? you why i'll tell you why i don't understand you you will anyway well, we will <laughs> um so first up is the podcast dying for sex <laughs> where do we start with this thing the podcast was created by two best friends nikki boyer and molly cochin um, Molly was diagnosed with stage four breast cancer, uh, decides to leave an unhappy marriage and embarks on a series of sexual adventures, sescapades, uh, which she shares with a friend, Nikki Boyer. Um, she was busy, to say the least. Uh, <laughs> she, some of her exploits included the dodgy masseuse. I mean, seriously, shouldn't he be in jail? It, it is bold. That's all I'll say. It's bold. That, like, that's just so wrong. Um, the, so what the, you should explain. Essentially, she's getting a massage and then she isn't sure, but she thinks that there's a hand on her breast and there is and goes from there. <laughs> and so much more. Uh, <laughs> and the car fellatio guy who the, sets off the car alarm prematurely, um, as he does. The, <laughs> Premature ejaculator. The in the car door. In the car door. The German foot fetish aficionado. Um, the wee guy. I mean, I mean that is bizarre, right? She's on anyway. Well, people will see that. And then the polyamorous Hungarian. <laughs> I mean, I love that guy. Uh, and then finally, the guy who just wants to be kicked in the balls. Essentially, I mean that was yeah. his. Thing. To me, that was the most, the strangest one. Did you? What What well, did you think of him? <laughs> well, I would just like that she explained that he had a semi erection while she was gleefully kicking him in the balls repeatedly, which I didn't know was physically possible. <laughs> well, no, it's not my idea of foreplay. Um, and then there was the the wee guy who, what was his his quote? Um, better than tea. Oh, mm, <laughs> tastes like tea. Tastes like tea. <laughs> you know, and he's a woman. Uh, and for those of you who don't know, um, had has metastatic cancer. So she was on a cocktail of drugs, including chemo uh, <laughs> and a whole bunch of other drugs. So I don't think drinking her urine <laughs> is advisable. Um. But it's not really about her sexual escapades, the podcast. I wouldn't say that that is 
it is part of it, but I wouldn't say that it's what it's entirely about. It's much more than that. What did you get out of it? I think it's a really moving story of someone processing the fact that they're going to die. And it's also really more about the female friendship between Nikki and Molly and like how that is one of the most important relationships in her life. And that's kind of what gets you into it. They just have this fun banter and it's like you're with two friends. It was interesting that they called some of the the dates, we'll call them dates, um, and they were likeable because initially from, I guess, the, the podcast, I kind of got a sense they were a bit sleazy and they were just looking for fast sex, but there was so much more to them than that. Yeah, so Nikki calls the men that have some of the men that have slept with Molly and ask them about their experiences. So she calls the guy that ejaculates into the car door and sets off the alarm and she calls the polyamorous Hungarian who actually is, his story is surprisingly moving, I think. Oh, yeah. They did have sex in the hospital. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) That was was just mind-boggling. Nothing is is sexier than a heart rate monitor. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, okay. Um, I will ask you, though, at the conclusion of the podcast, um, the host um, is interviewed. Nikki. Nikki. Mm. Nikki Boy is interviewed by another journalist. Um, what did that make you feel? I, I wasn't sure whether it was exploitative. Yeah, I don't know. It's hard because in the one hand she's sharing her friend's story and in the other hand she's the only one benefiting from it now. So it's it's hard to balance. I don't know. But I don't know where they answer it. But it's an interesting thing because obviously she knows she's dying and, um, you know, I I don't know how I would react under those circumstances and whether I would just quit everything and go. You go on on a a journey of sexual discovery. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe. I don't know. It's uh, or would I want, I don't know. I don't know what I'd do with that. But um, it is. Yeah, well, it's interesting because I think you think about that when you listen to it. Like, what would I do if that was me? And what would I want to discover about myself before I die? But it's, it's some of the sexual exploitations, that, like the ex- escapades that she gets up to, some of it, it, it did feel very focused on the men. And she talks about how she created this space for men to feel comfortable to explore all their kinks with her. And she was very open. But doesn't really give a whole lot away about her own feelings and her own sexual discovery. She, um, yeah, um, she also wrote a, I think in the, in hospital, uh, Molly Coach and penned an, a book that that's out now, isn't it? I think so. Yes. Yeah, that's maybe something we should look at later on. Um, <laughs> I loved. I, look, I love. I think it was probably one of the most moving podcasts I've ever listened to. Uh, as I told you, I kind of wept with the meat at the butcher shop. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the guy. I just really want one. Probably thought I was, I was vegan or something. <laughs> weeping, weeping for the T-bone steak. Um, look, 
incredible. I mean, what a journey, a uh, lot of twists and turns. And, yeah, it's interesting. Sort of gives you a, a different appreciation for people who just really want to make connections. Yeah. I had to stare at the ceiling in the bedroom for a while after I finished the last episode. <laughs> Why? Because you were drunk. <laughs> Not this time, actually. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so something that I've watched that's new, and it's not so new. It's no, been, it's not, not that new. It came out, I think, about May last, last year. Last um, It's the uh, Samson and Delilah and Sweet Country director Warwick Thornton's um, new documentary called The Beach. Um, I met Warwick. Oh, a number of years ago when I was at the Inside Film Awards. I'm not ashamed to say, but he, I was pretty awestruck. He's got a lot of presence, this guy. He's uh, very yeah, tall. Been, he is very tall. <laughs> he, I've met him a few times. He does have a presence. You kind of, he's like, uh, he has like X Factor. He's kind of like magnetic, I guess. I know there's a lot of publicity around the release of this and somehow for me it kind of slipped through the cracks, but I, in the middle of COVID and lockdown, um, I found it and it was probably the most beautiful doco I've ever watched. There's not a lot of dialogue. <laughs> like I think the only dialogue is where he talks to the chickens. Um, <laughs> Which is almost like therapy. Really, yeah, for therapy. Well, he says that the reason he made the doco was 15 years of red carpet. Um, and it's true. I think that kind of lifestyle and attending a lot of things and, you know, there, there's that red carpet burnout. And so for him, um, he made this trek and shot the documentary on the Dampier Peninsula, which is about 200 kilometres north of Broome. Um, I've been to Broome on a number of times and, and around that area. I've not been to where he shot this documentary. But the landscape is unimaginable. Uh, and it was shot by Warwick's son, um, cinematographer Dylan River, what I loved about it is, one, it's completely isolated. It's just amazing. It's like where time began. It's very ancient. And there's a shack that he's built basically on the beach or on a little island, and he just basically meanders around the many rocky outcrops and sandy beaches fostering for food. And then he goes back to the shack with uh, what looks like kitchen garage tools that he's <laughs> constructed to like mash garlic and do a whole bunch of stuff but then you know he prepares these mouth-watering dishes the crab for me was just incredible I don't know for me it kind of had a almost French romance uh, in the way that it was shot I was almost expecting um, actress Beatrice Daly to emerge from somewhere I think if I was there I'd never leave but it's just it's six parts, I think, but just stunning. It's, it was so moving. Um, I just loved it. And for me, that was a, a bit of escape during lockdown. Yeah, he's an insanely good cook. <laughs> well, yeah, just, you know, invite me for dinner, please. <laughs> like that is, if I could cook that well for myself in my house with just normal kitchenware, I'd be happy. Now, that was that was um, through SBS. Um, yeah, SBS and NITV. Yeah. NITV. Look, amazing. All you need is headphones. 
Yeah, I wanted to talk about something I also watched in lockdown and it kind of was just a little bit of a moment of joy for me um, in probably the midway point when it, I was the most miserable. <laughs> like all of us, sneaking around. So it's This Way Up, which is a British half-hour comedy series. It's on stand. The first season won a BAFTA, but I kind of feel like it went slightly under the radar. Like I hadn't heard of it until it just popped up on my carousel. Um, And the second season, which I think is stronger again, launched a few months ago. Basically, it's set in London. It's about two sisters played by Irish comedian Ashling B, who's the creator of the series, and Sharon Hogan, who's also an EP. Um, And... Ashling plays Anya, a woman who's suffered a nervous breakdown, later revealed to be a suicide attempt, and gotten out of rehab. And Sharon is Shona, who's her older sister, who helps look after her, who on the surface seems to kind of have her shit together and a successful career and a relationship, but she's also sort of navigating her own way in the world and also very worried about her sister. Sounds like a bit of a downer, like an issues-based show, but it's not. It's a comedy but it's probably one of the most, I would say, nuanced depictions of mental health that I've seen on television, but also what it means to sort of love and care for someone. Especially, if they, have, especially if they have hemorrhoids. <laughs> I'm getting to that. <laughs> <laughs> mental health issues. Like, like so that's what their sibling relationship is what makes the show. Like it's completely real. They have jokes that no one else can understand. They really piss each other off within seconds. Um, and I, I get that cause my brother pisses me off faster than anyone I know. <laughs> <laughs> um, and like the way you have to look after yourself, like each other when your parents aren't around. And yeah, there is a, a scene where Shona checks if Anya has a hemorrhoid in the way a sister, only a sister can, or someone that loves you unconditionally. <laughs> I would send my sister to the doctors. <laughs> <laughs> I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't be rubbing cream on. No, it's not my thing. I'm sorry. Call me hard. That's not my thing. Or, or you've just got a weak. We all know you've got a weak stomach. I do, especially in that respect. <laughs> but what I like about this show is, in terms of it's showing Anya after she has a breakdown, like after she's gotten out of rehab. And I think often shows about mental health are like the spiral down or like how everything goes wrong for a person. But this is Anya recovering and trying to get on with her life and how hard that can be and how lonely that can be. She uses humour to cope and she makes, I think that's relatable for a lot of people, including me, but she also makes really, (laughs) really bad jokes that fall flat all the time, which is funny. Um, and we see her working as an ESL teacher, which she's really good at. And she starts a new relationship with the father of a boy that she tutors, played by Tobias Menzies, who's Prince Philip in the, sec- uh, the third and fourth series of The Crown, which is kind of bizarre to see him playing a different role. But, yeah, there's just a lot of love in this show. It's really warm and tender, even though it it's It is warm. Definitely. I think <laughs> too for me. Complicated women. <laughs> too complicated women. <laughs> yeah. um, during the lockdown, so when I spoke about the beach, the other thing that sort of kept me, I was living vicariously through, um, was something I stumbled on uh, TikTok. It's TikTok's Kendall and Glenn, Van Life Australia. They also have a YouTube page, <clears throat> but I'm living vicariously through them because of lockdown, but basically they're driving around an old beat-up combi van, which I doubt has air conditioning, 
<laughs> but they had me at drinking beers, surfing remote beaches, you know, creating the perfect latte while sitting on a Persian rug. Um, the stuff that they capture, they've got drones, underwater cameras. It is just breathtaking and, you know, it's an amazing promotional vehicle for Australia, I think, because there are so many beautiful places. You know, endless sunset shots, exquisite drone underwater footage. But I've done several outback trips and got myself horribly lost thinking I was driving on a road when, in fact, I was on the maintenance track for the dingo fence. So I know it's not all beauty. (laughs) There's a lot of bull dust, (laughs) a lot of bull dust and driving for hours and no showers. But... um, they do it beautifully. Uh, I sort of do wonder whether they had like a support vehicle because the combi, it's a combi and, uh, you know, they kind of drive <laughs> to beaches and I don't think it's a four-wheel drive combi, but just stunning. Um, it's amazing to see, I guess, some of the content that now is appearing on socials and the production values that go into those things. Yeah, it's so interesting, uh, very addictive uh, and, again, You know, just, I think, showcases how beautiful Australia is uh, and that there are so many other places to go to outside of the tourist, sort of the traditional tourist destinations. But if you get a chance, I think it's worth having a bit of a scow on their their TikTok site. But how they renovate these fans is insane to me. Like it is like a house. It looks better than my apartment, some of these fans. Not necessarily these guys, but we've talked about this and then I think my phone is listening to me because I keep getting served van <laughs> renovation ads on Instagram. Well, it's, it's the trend, isn't it? Like, you know, that you had the, uh, well, the grey nomads and now it's like all these young Millennial people, nomads. Millennials, yeah, just, you know, and they're doing amazing work and these vans are like, I don't know. It's like a small, small one-bedroom apartment on wheels. <laughs> but I can assure you that this combi van, uh, which is why I'm a little bit suspect whether you know it's for show, <laughs> looks like it's seen better days. <laughs> it may be an elaborate ad for Tourism Australia. You know? <laughs> Maybe we'll so now up to the part that Mark has been looking forward to most of all. <laughs> oh, yes. So this is the story that for me, I know we've had a lot of discussions about this, the New Yorker story on a botched <laughs> circumcision and its aftermath. <laughs> and I don't know uh, I don't, why is my question. <laughs> Look, obviously... So this piece, it's by Gary Steingart. It's a long read in The New Yorker. Um, But I won't lie, I read this piece almost entirely because of the headline because I am that weird person who used to be like morbidly obsessed with embarrassing bodies back in the day. But um, this is a surprisingly moving look at what it means to live with chronic pain um, it's startlingly honest. So if you're squeamish and particularly if you are male or have a penis, um, <laughs> maybe. A, yeah, or in yeah, this because... case, had a penis. He <laughs> <laughs> still has a penis. <laughs> you know, it may be a lot to deal with, but it's brave. It's hilariously funny. And I just think it's a really brilliant example of magazine feature writing done well. Um, feature writing is why I became a journalist originally and I'm really 
passionate about long form. But yeah, it's, it's, well, sorry, go on. It's changed, hasn't it? I mean, publishing yeah. has, uh, you know, finding those long form well researched stories are sort of few and far between. Yeah, and this is a personal essay, but it does delve into some of the history around circumcision. But basically, I mean, Gary's circumcision as a child, um, so he had it when he was seven after moving to the US from the Soviet Union, um, was botched. And then as an adult, it leads to an injury and it that then doesn't heal. Um, it's pain that can't be fixed and he tries various doctors and procedures and it can't be ignored to the point where it is impacting his everyday life constantly. His penis is in what he calls an Elizabethan collar, so like a cone, <laughs> cone of shame that you would put on your dog. Poor thing. <laughs> Poor thing. Really? Um, like he's got, what, he wears one of those collars, like yes, the, the cone. Yes, yes, and he talks about how... He's walking with his seven-year-old son down the road and he can feel the collar in his pants. Like it's constantly feeling this pain when he's swimming. He can feel the, yeah, it's it's quite horrendous. (laughs) (laughs) No shit. (laughs) Wow. Yeah, so I, I wrote down this quote from it because I think it sort of gives you a sense of his writing, so it's kind of funny. But it said, I have always imagined that beyond its pleasurable utility, the penis must be an incomprehensible thing to most heterosexual women, like a walrus wearing a cape that shows up every once in a while to perform a quick round of gardening. Neither my past lovers nor my wife had admi- remarked on the condition of my phallus, but now my genital was truly unbound, as, I had al- as it had always been in my imaginations. It's freakishness undeniable. <laughs> Well, you always get but, a, a job <laughs> in the circus. <laughs> but, yes, he goes through the history of how circumcision, well, he he is Jewish, so he talks about how it developed within Judaism, but also other religions and societies. And apparently some Jewish scholars thought that uncircumcised men were irresistible to Jewish women. So if they were then circumcised, they'd be less distracted by their horny wives and get more work done or more correctly, as he says, devote his spiritual and physical energies to the contemplation of God's and God and other noble pursuits. Um, but, yes, it doesn't make, like, call into sort of question why this practice continues. And then Gary includes a suicide note from a man who also, well, who, who went on to take his own life after an adult circumcision went wrong, and he writes in that, imagine what would happen to an eyeball if the eyelid was amputated. <laughs> a deep breath. I just like kind of crossed over and clenched up. Um, yeah. It's, uh, How well, are you feeling? I'm not feeling well. <laughs> but I really recommend reading it. It's a long read. So devote, if you've got maybe you've got an hour or so, it's really moving. Um, I think we're up. Time's up. Um, Time's up. Time is up. And I'll see you next week. See you next week. Bye.